You're listening to The Big Show with Patrick Dumas on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls. We have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all, thing, all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Uh, we'll keep the uh, football chat continuing here in the 9 o'clock hour. Go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We're joined by Jordan Dejani, NFL writer for CBSSports.com. Jordan, thanks so much for taking some time out of your day and, and chatting some NFL with me. Hey, hey, what's going on? Really appreciate you having me on the show today. Yay, no problem, buddy. Uh, you were down in Vegas. Did you, were you, did you stay down there for the entire week, or did you come home like midweek? I was down there in Vegas. This was the first Super Bowl week that I attended. So I put on my nice flamingo nice. jacket, made my, day, made my way down to Super Bowl opening night, which was a ton of fun. But no, I, I was there from Saturday to Saturday. So I got out of town 24 hours before kickoff. I think that was the right decision okay. because by that time, Vegas became an absolute madhouse. I mean, by Thursday night, they had police caravans everywhere. Like, people were just going absolutely insane. The casinos were absolutely booked. So I wasn't actually in Allegiant Stadium for the Super Bowl. Got to cover that from home. But, man, it was an incredible experience nonetheless. Yeah, that's okay. I saw some of the scenes just trying to get into there in McCarran International, trying to leave or just trying to get in there. The traffic was insane. So good on you getting out of there uh, a day ahead of time. And you you had a chat with uh, with Sauce Gardner, cornerback uh, for the New York Jets, uh, last year's Rookie of the Year. Uh, do you want to kind of share what, what went on there? Like, I know it's obviously a, a massive season there with the Jets. You have Aaron Rodgers. Everybody's going to be good. They're going to go win the division. Then four plays in, his season's over, and then the Jets kind of go, you know, down into the dumps. Just talk about uh, your conversation with Sauce and what he's looking forward to as he enters his uh, third season now. Yeah, so it was actually Garrett Wilson. Sorry, Garrett Wilson. My bad. I'm my bad. I'm sorry. The offensive rookie of the year. Hey, same thing, right? Same they, thing. They're both one rookie of the year on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. They're both young superstars. I, I totally get to mix up the exact same thing. No, this was actually really cool. Uh, it was with Courtyard by Marriott. They did this cool thing where they turned one of the suites inside Allegiant Stadium into like a hotel yeah. room with a bed and everything. So we went there. We had a little TV interview. We sat down. Um, it was one of the more, you know, one of the first kind of, I guess, TV sit-downs I've done with an athlete, but he was incredible. Um, and he was an interesting interview uh, subject, if you will, too, because the New York Jets are entering this incredibly important season, year two of the Aaron Rodgers era. You know, there's been a lot of negative noise behind the scenes, especially when it comes to their head coach, Robert Sala. But it's interesting because Garrett Wilson has been one of the lone bright spots of the New York Jets. Even mm-hmm. with all the quarterback turnover, I think he's played with six different signal callers. Wow. He's found a way to have personal success. So I was really interested in that aspect of what he's gone through throughout the course of his young NFL career. And one thing I was really interested to talk to him about was kind of college football, right? I mean, he yeah. comes from Ohio State, which has really turned into wide receiver U. I asked him, who is the best wide receiver to come out of Ohio State over the past few years? And he didn't point to himself. He actually pointed to Marvin Harrison okay. Jr. as the guy who kind of takes the cake, who might be the best prospect coming out of wide receiver U. So I talked to him a little about, you know, what are you guys doing right about that wide receiver factory in Columbus? And he pointed to the fact that, you know, the best of the best, including himself, they're not scared of competition. So they want to go to the situation that they deem as best where they can succeed. And it doesn't matter if that room's going to be chock full of talent because it just makes people better. So that was a really good answer. It's kind of interesting talking to him about that. But 
in terms of the NFL storylines, the NFL questions I talked to him about, um, he still, of course, has faith in Robert Sala, someone who's been a motivator behind the scenes despite um, the lack of on-field success, if you will. Um, you know, he has a really good perspective about, even though he's done better than people have anticipated, given the crazy quarterback adversity that he's had to deal with, he still feels like he has a lot to learn. There's a long way to go. This, this is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. And that's what he's really focused on moving into 2024. They get Aaron Rodgers back. Um, he's, continue, he's continued to be a motivating figurehead, I guess, behind the scenes. Um, and the bottom line from the interview has really been like, hey, it's time to go out there and win games. Things have not gone according to plan during the Robert Sala era. They have not gone according to plan during my short time in the league. But we got Aaron Rodgers back. But we've got another offseason under our belt to really add to the roster on both sides. It's time to go out there and win some games. So that's the goal for the Jets here in 2024. Well, we'll talk a little bit more of the offseason storylines uh, here in a little bit. But I want to get your thoughts on the actual game itself, Super Bowl 50. Uh, 58 there out in Vegas. Did it ever feel at any point, even when it was going good for San Francisco, that the Chiefs were never going to be out of that one no matter what? No. I mean, I feel like I'm already taking Patrick Mahomes' greatness for granted. Right? I mean, there was just never any doubt to me that the Chiefs were going to win this game. Even when they went down, what was it, like 20 to 10 entering the fourth quarter, the first thing I did was open up my sportsbook app and just put more money down on the Chiefs, <laughs> right? I mean, Patrick Mahomes is the main character in this action movie that we are watching. And, and does the movie ever kill off the main character in the middle of the film, no. no matter how dangerous of a situation he finds himself in? No, they don't. And that's how I feel watching Patrick Mahomes. So three Super Bowl wins now. Just four other quarterbacks have accomplished this in NFL history. And what's interesting is that he's doing this in flashy style, too, because He's trailed by double digits in all three of his Super Bowl wins. How many other Super Bowl champions have come back to win after trailing by double digits? I think just four. So Mahomes has almost matched Super Bowl history by himself. And again, the dude's like 28 years old. So yeah. the Chiefs are clearly on dynasty watch here. They're the fifth team to win three Super Bowls in a five-year span. Um, and Patrick Mahomes is the best guy to do it. And you know, to, to go back on just this playoff journey for the Chiefs, we all know that they really struggled offensively in the regular mm -hmm. season. It was kind of the defense that really upheld this team at large. And then they have to go on the road in the postseason after defeating the Miami Dolphins. They defeat the Buffalo Bills, who at that time had the longest active win streak in the NFL. They go to Baltimore for the AFC Championship game. The Ravens, who were undoubtedly the best team, no matter what conference, the best team in the NFL throughout the regular season, they take them, them down. Then they head to Vegas as underdogs for some reason in Allegiant Stadium, where Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> by the way, has never lost a game. Yep. And he plays there once a year, playing the rival Las Vegas Raiders. And, of course, he gets the job done. So, at this point, Patrick Mahomes as an underdog at plus money. That's got to be an auto bet for you sports gamblers out there. We're truly witnessing greatness with what Patrick Mahomes is doing at the quarterback position. Do you think when it's all said and done, the Chiefs obviously had the one in the holster from before Mahomes, so they had one Super Bowl heading in. They won their fourth. Do you think when it's all said and done, they pass the Patriots it's, uh, when it's all said and done, and they become the, I guess, Patriots Steelers are tied at six. But do you think they can get to that seven mark with this team? I think it's very possible. I think kind of the X factor that we, we may be glossing over is is Andy yeah, Reid. I think Andy Reid is, is probably the best head coach in the NFL right now. And you have to wonder how many years he has left, right? There's a lot of speculation that maybe he could retire this offseason. But 
leading up to Super Bowl Sunday, I think he made it pretty clear that uh, he's not exactly feeling like retiring right now. So I'm kind of interested to see how we how long we can keep this dynamic duo of Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and you can even throw Travis Kelsey in the mix there because as long as they have that solid core, um, they're going to have a shot. They are going to be contenders year in, year out. So Mm -hmm. even when Andy Reid decides to step down, whoever the Chiefs hire, that Chiefs head coach is going to have the best quarterback in the game under center with Patrick Mahomes, and that's always going to give you a shot to be in Super Bowl contention. Yeah, it'll be certainly uh, interesting to see as the Chiefs uh, will attempt to become the first team in the Super Bowl era to win three championships in a row. Where are we at with this Niners group? They fired Steve Wilkes yesterday. I felt like somebody had to get paid for for whatever, you know, pay for what happened there on Sunday, whether that was Steve Wilkes' fault or not. Where are we at with this group? Because you know, obviously you don't know if you're ever going to get back. They have a young quarterback who they don't have to pay yet. They can still uh, add to this team and add to the pieces. But where are we at with this Niners group as they try and like they're kind of like a weird, I don't know, purgatory. I don't want to say that. They're still like, they're obviously the favorite to win next year because the NFC just will be easier to come through. But where are we at with the with this Niners group going forward? Yeah, let's talk about the Steve Wilkes quote-unquote drama for a second. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by the backlash, I guess, by his firing. And I think he's a great defensive mind. Um, and I, I don't, I, I don't want to call him a scapegoat for the Super Bowl loss because who's to say that the 49ers would not have made a move if they actually won the Super Bowl? Because I don't know if Steve Wilkes was the perfect fit mm-hmm. in San Francisco. The, the 49ers defense was not as vaunted as it had been in years past. I mean, you look at the past defensive coordinators, Robert Sala, bona fide head coaching prospect, D'Amico Ryan, bona fide head coaching prospect. All those guys found major success. Steve Wilkes was not considered to be one of the favorites to land a head coaching job this off season. And I understand that the interview coaching carousel was kind of throw, thrown up in the air because he made it all the way to the Super Bowl. But the bottom line is that the 49ers, I think they were number eight in total defense, number three in scoring defense. So overall, they had a great unit. But you have to keep in mind that this defense, it really fell apart in the postseason. They had the number three rush defense in the regular season, but the 49ers allowed the most rushing yards per game in a postseason by a team entering the Super Bowl since the 1966 Green Bay Packers. Mm -hmm. Now, the 49ers defense, they did get it together against the Chiefs, right? I mean, they only allowed 130 rushing yards in that 25-22 overtime loss. The leading rusher was Patrick Mahomes, who had 66 rushing yards. I feel like San Francisco really struggled to contain Patrick Mahomes, who in my opinion, is a dual-threat quarterback. Maybe he's not Michael Vick, but we've seen this time and time again, even in the postseason in his young career. um, He's made plays with his legs, and the 49ers refused to adjust to that. So I don't think that the 49ers' defense was the sole reason that they lost the Super Bowl. I'm not saying that. But even Kyle Shanahan himself came out yesterday and said, you know, with what we were doing defensively, the systems that we've had in place beforehand – it didn't seem like Steve Wilkes was the perfect fit, and that's fine. So uh, the the whole narrative about him being a scapegoat, uh, I'm a little hesitant to jump on board with that. But to answer your question at large real quickly, I, I don't know if the 49ers are necessarily in purgatory. I guess they're in purgatory anytime you have to face a guy named Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> um, they're going to continue to be one of the best teams in the NFC. Um, they got a quarterback on a rookie contract who was up in the MVP conversation. Kyle Shanahan's taken a lot of heat. I get that for some of the decisions in the Super Bowl, the decision to fire Steve Wilkes. But I still view him as one of the best head coaches in the National Football mm-hmm. League. 
maybe he needs to buckle down on some of these decisions made in, in the Super Bowl become because that's unfortunately becoming a narrative. He was on the wrong side of that historic comeback as the offensive yep. coordinator against the New England Patriots, 28-3. to now, now two straight double-digit um, blown leads in the Super Bowl to the Kansas City Chiefs. I still like Kyle Shanahan. I still like the 49ers, but, man, they are entering a pretty pivotal offseason. They need to make a good hire at defensive coordinator, fill some holes on both sides of the ball. But bottom line, I think the 49ers are still a legitimate contender here in the NFL. We're talking with Jordan DeJohnny, NFL writer for CBSSports.com. So that's uh, the, we'll put a bow on the Super Bowl. We'll look ahead to the offseason. Combine will be starting up here in a couple weeks. Free agency in about a month's time. And then it's, it's the draft at the end of April. Where do you think the Bears are going to, or what do you think the Bears are going to do with this number one pick? It feels like you bring in a new offense. It feels like they're going to get rid of Justin Fields. Whether that's the right decision or not, the Bears really control the draft at number one. Yeah, they do. That's the biggest domino to fall for sure. And I mean, I, I'm pretty confident in my opinion, thinking that with the 20, with the first overall pick in the 2024 NFL draft, the Chicago Bears select quarterback Caleb Williams out of USC. Mm-hmm. I think that's ultimately what's going to happen. And that's not to poo-poo someone like Jaden Daniels or Drake May, who are uh, good quarterback prospects in themselves. But I think Caleb Williams is the number one overall prospect in this draft. The Bears, you know, they gave up the opportunity to select their top quarterback last year with the number one overall pick. And this year, I think they're going to have a different course of action. They're going to take their prospective quarterback of the future in Caleb Williams. Now, as for Justin Fields, that gets kind of interesting because with Caleb Williams, you know, hypothetically being selected here, Justin Fields is going to be traded somewhere else. And what's interesting about that is, where, or excuse me, when do they decide to trade Justin Fields, right? Do they tip their hand early in March and try to send him to the Atlanta Falcons or New England Patriots? Do they hold him on roster for a little bit and take away some of that bargaining power um, after they draft Caleb Williams and then trade him when quarterback landing spots are beginning to fill up? That's the main question that I find myself pondering at this point in the NFL schedule. But ultimately, I do think Chicago takes Caleb Williams at number one. Then at two, it's the Washington Commanders, three New England Patriots, both teams in need for quarterback. When it comes to the debate of Drake May versus Jaden Daniels, where do you fall in that? Because I believe Jaden Daniels is rising up a lot of people's draft boards that could see him go number two behind Caleb Williams. Or do you like Justin Fields over those two guys? Yeah, I'm looking at our CBSSports.com mock drafts right now, and our top two experts have Jaden Daniels going number two over to the Washington Commanders. And this is an interesting debate because mm-hmm. I think maybe you could argue that Jaden Daniels as a dual-threat guy would be a better fit for the Washington Commanders, but I, I don't know. I've, I've found myself infatuated with Drake May um, over the past mm-hmm. couple of years because I think he has the intangibles necessary to be a longtime starting NFL quarterback. And I mean, I've kind, of, I've kind of been hesitant to say this, but I see a little bit of Justin Herbert and Drake May. Now, let me explain what I mean by mm-hmm. that. Justin Herbert was not some prospect that was beloved coming out of Oregon, right? Because Oregon, they lost big games. It didn't seem like their yeah. offensive system necessarily fit Justin Herbert to a T. And that's how I feel about Drake May. I mean, it's not like the North Carolina Tar Heels were some juggernaut in college mm-hmm. football. And I would argue that their offense didn't exactly benefit Drake May either. But when it comes to Drake May, the prospect, the quarterback, the guy that he's going to be in the future at the next level, um, I am definitely infatuated with what he can potentially be. So that, that's, that really puts the Washington Commanders in a tough spot because not only do you have to 
figure out which guy is going to be the best quarterback for years to come, but you're also going to have to figure out which quarterback is going to fit your offensive system with Cliff Kingsbury the best as well. Yes. Uh, another team that kind of controls uh, maybe where they could throw another quarterback out there. I mean, obviously, they're going to have to take a huge uh, cap hit, a dead cap hit. But where do you think the Broncos are going to do with uh, with Russell Wilson? Because I personally don't think he's back with what went on there at the end of the year. Despite him improving from the year before, it feels like Russell Wilson's he's on his way out. Yeah, Russell Wilson averaged barely over 200 passing yards per game. That ranked in the 20s. The play calling was weird with Sean Payton. It, it felt like the new head coach was doing his best to make sure that Russ wasn't in the kitchen alone, making sure that he can't cook, right? You know, you can preheat the oven, but let me tear, let me take care of the cooking part. Yes. Uh, so I, 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 I'm with you. I think Russell Wilson is not going to be back in Denver. But at the same time, it's kind of hard to figure out how exactly this is going to play out because he has a massive cap hit. Um, I don't think there's going to be any trade interest for him, even if you take – on a bunch of that dead salary, um, but releasing him at the same time is going to take a huge chunk of change out, out of your wallet as well. I really don't know what's going to happen with this situation because it's really tough to move on from him. That's why I can't rule out that, you know, maybe Denver and Russell Wilson come together and renegotiate some kind of deal. Mm -hmm. But even if that happens, I don't think Sean Payton wants Russell Wilson as his quarterback. I think he wants to move on and, and find someone different that he's comfortable running his offense through. And I say that because, again, it didn't seem like Sean Payton was comfortable with Russell Wilson as his quarterback. So I think this is one of the most, let's say, underrated storylines in the entire offseason because when it comes to the issue of money, cap space, moving on from big contracts, we don't have a ton of precedent for situations like the one Russell Wilson finds himself in. So I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm not smart enough to know that. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Denver for sure. I guess when we're on the, the train in these quarterbacks uh, conversation right now, the biggest one of all is scheduled to be a free agent, and it's Kirk Cousins. Feels like if I'm Minnesota and you want to try and contend in this division with Jordan Love, with Jared Goff, and whatever Chicago is going to be doing, you probably want to have the, the, the veteran quarterback, but also this is a team that's been trying to find that next guy, whether Kirk Cousins is that one or not. Minnesota is in search for another quarterback. Where do you think... Uh, Kirk Cousins ends up, does he re-sign in Minnesota or does Pittsburgh get involved or does Atlanta get involved? But Kirk's going to have some suitors. Exactly. Kirk's going to have some suitors. And one thing I keep pointing back to is when Kirk Cousins was with the Washington football command skins, whatever they were known <laughs> back then, he always said that he always said that he wanted to play for one team for the rest of his NFL career. Mm -hmm. And when he found his money with the Minnesota Vikings, he said that I want to play for only two teams during the course of my NFL career. So I really do believe that there's mutual interest yeah. in bringing Kirk Cousins back. If I had to bet on it right now, I, I'm going to assume that's what they do. And you also have to throw in the, uh, the, the whole thing with Justin Jefferson, who's going to break the bank mm -hmm. uh, and being the new highest paid wide receiver ever in NFL history. He's someone who has established chemistry with Kirk Cousins. Yeah. And I believe that Justin Jefferson behind the scenes is probably uh, in favor of bringing Kirk Cousins back on some kind of short-term deal with guaranteed money. And, you know, it's like that old saying, like, if you don't like your job, the best time to look for a job is when you have a job, right? And I feel like the Vikings can kind of take that philosophy and apply it to their quarterback position. Because yeah. as you mentioned, Kirk Cousins is not exactly a young guy. He's not going to nope. be the future of the franchise forever. So once you get Kirk Cousins under contract, that's when Kevin O'Connell – uh, can start making moves and looking at different young quarterbacks, guys that they can develop 
a la Green Bay Packers, what they've been doing over the past few years, maybe draft someone, get them in the building, learn under Kirk Cousins. So I think that's kind of too important to do list for Minnesota. Maybe retain Kirk Cousins, find a way to keep him happy and keep him away from other teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers, New England Patriots, whatever they may be. Get him under contract and then bring in a younger quarterback that can at least develop for at least one season and hopefully be the franchise or excuse me, the future of your franchise there in Minnesota. Yeah, I totally wouldn't uh, wouldn't put it by them if they do sign Kirk Cousins that they draft like a Bo Nix or, or JJ McCarthy. Wouldn't be surprised one bit. Uh, talk to me about the team uh, that you, you in your town there, Nashville. Uh, they signed Brian Callahan to be their new head coach. Feels like Amy Adams Strunk got his got her guy this time. But was that was that the right hire as he comes from Cincinnati, where he was the offensive coordinator? Yeah, there's a lot of optimism here in Music City for what Mr. Callahan's going to bring. I think the biggest reason is is that he's a young, up-and-coming offensive mind. And if you know the NFL and you've watched Tennessee Titans football, their identity has remained on the defensive side of the ball for a long time Mm -hmm. now. And the offense was basically, here's the ball to Derrick Henry. Let's see how fast he can run up the A-gap. So it's going to be a whole different new-look offense for Tennessee. And a lot of people are excited to see what a passing attack is going to look like here in Nashville. Now, when it comes to him being the right hire, yeah, I think he was on my big board of top five coaching prospects. At the same time, I was kind of shooting for the moon. I think that Jim Harbaugh was the best coaching candidate, if you will, but he wasn't someone that that was interested in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So, you know, watching the press conferences with Callahan, um, I've been impressed with his demeanor. I've been impressed with his vision. I'm impressed with his philosophy when it comes to quarterbacks as well. And as you know, Tennessee has a prospective franchise guy in Will Levis. So bringing in someone like Callahan, who's worked with guys like Peyton Manning, Mm -hmm. Matthew Stafford, Derek Carr, Joe Burrow, all these guys at different stages of their career, it's, it's caused him to craft a different kind of philosophy and game plan when it comes to not only developing quarterbacks, but getting the most out of them as well. So I think that there's a, a, lot, a lot of reasons to be optimistic about what Tennessee is doing. And I also like his staff as well. I know that there's a lot of young guys, but my favorite hire was probably Denard Wilson, the, the new defensive mm-hmm. coordinator. He was the defensive backs coach with the Baltimore Ravens. He was held in high regard by many teams around the league. And he's kind of one of these up and coming defensive minds. And if you go back and look at his track record, when Denard Wilson leaves your coaching staff, it usually means your defensive back play gets worse. So Tennessee, um, they've really struggled with developing cornerbacks. They struggled with secondary in general. So I think Denard Wilson as defensive coordinator was a pretty good hire. Uh, you got some downtime here, or is it still go, go, go up into the draft? Yeah, good question. I think that this week has kind of been go, 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 right? We're looking at top three agents. We're talking about, you know, senior bowl winners and losers, things of that matter. But uh, maybe next week I get just a little <laughs> bit of time off, hopefully, at least before the NFL combine. Yes, uh, we'll be watching for sure. And, yeah, free agency just about a month away. and We'll be starting the – the new league year, and we'll have a schedule, we'll have a draft, and we'll be doing this all again very soon. Jordan, thank you so much for, for all your chats with me uh, over the season. Uh, we'll, we'll check in uh, throughout the offseason, I'm sure. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks so much.